Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Killar jag så bra som mig Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson Vackra, snälla, dagar Yes, welcome everybody Okay, like was that a mistake or is that just like bad luck? He was having such a great game. I was like, oh, yeah. this is good. Zach Wierenski already a golden assist, like a period in. I'm cr- I'm cruising here. Next thing I know, oh, by the way, Zach Wierenski's out for the season. Like, oh, I'll just go. It actually, I'll just go jump off the came, balcony. It came real quick, like it did. It, I I don't know. I've seen a, a shorter span of time pass between player injured. And player out for the season. Also, like it was really, yeah. really sudden. And also, it was like you look at the replay. You know, sometimes on Twitter, like there's a bad hit or like a bad fall or something, and the beat writers right away are like, "This looks really bad." Like, guys, this is going to be a-. like Wierenski. Like, I didn't even see anything like that. I was just like, Wierenski left yeah. the game. The coach said he's not going to come back. We'll get an update tomorrow, yeah. probably. I was like, oh probably gonna have a couple weeks <laughs> gonna have to you know usually yeah and usually we have that time to process right it's like oh he he might be out I, like coach says well i don't know it could be a while looks like weeks instead of days we'll take a look and then you know see one dog well seeing the doctor uh we'll we'll have to see a couple more we'll have to wait for the swelling to go down none of that yeah they skipped all of that and just went yeah you won't see him again well, anyway, we're still going to have a fun show today. We'll talk about Jake Bean and all the other uh, beneficiaries and all of the, uh, you know, all, all the players that, you know, are better and all the players that are hurt from all these injuries and outjuries and everything else. That's what we do at Keeping Carlson. Part one, we're going to do the news. Part two, we'll get to some hot and cold streaks. We're going to have a blast. Okay, first of all, a few announcements. First of all, Keeping Carlson, very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. Best website. Check it out. I use Frozen Tools to prep the show all the time. It's it's the best tools site. I don't even know what I would do if it went away. So please don't. That's topperhockey.com. Okay. Next up, Brian, we have a special announcement about one of our awesome patrons, PJ, that you wanted to share. Yeah, it's November. Um, so as some of you might know, I, I actually don't know if this is also an American thing. It's Movember. So people... It's been a thing. You grow mustaches for for cancer. And PJ, actually, um, you know, as of 
a couple weeks ago, PJ is two years cancer free with no no detectable cancer, as he said. He uh, like very openly shared his experience with cancer um, with our community when he was a part of it. And uh, we even got like there was a cool video that was part of that too with some I think Zach Cassian made a and Paul Bisonet made some pretty impressive cameos in any way. Um, PJ runs an annual Movember campaign to spread awareness, to share his story, to help promote men's health. Um, and he's running a fundraiser. And as part of that fundraiser, he also, like I said, shares his story and his uh, his his journey with uh, specifically testicular cancer. So. If you would like to uh, just learn more, for starters, about what PJ has been through, and then if that so inspires you to donate, wouldn't that be lovely? We're going to put PJ's Movember link in our show notes. PJ is like a longtime listener and patron of the show. I think he's appeared on the stream scheme at least once. Yeah, a few times, whenever they do those rankings. Yeah, yeah. PJ's been around for a really long time and is basically part of our family. Uh, We've made a donation and we hope you'll join us too. Uh, You can find PJ's Movember link in our show notes. All right. So yeah, PJ, he's the best. We love you. Okay. Next up, Brian, I still have one more announcement before we get into talking about Zach Wierenski to start the show over in Columbus. Uh, We've made a big announcement. We haven't posted it yet as of the time of recording, but probably by the time you've listened, if you're a patron of Keeping Carlson, if you're in the cupful of the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, we've just dropped our big announcement of how promotion and relegation will work for next season. So, you know, right now we have eight tiers. Everyone's fighting to try to work their way up to tier one and become the ultimate champion of the world. Uh, And, uh, We've announced some some big changes. So if you're a patron, make sure you go and check out the couple announcements to make sure you're aware. Uh, A couple just quick highlights I'll throw out there. Moving forward, if you win the President's Trophy, you're considered like second in your division in terms of waiver priority. So we're trying to like even it out a bit because I know there's a bit of luck that happens sometimes in the fantasy playoffs. Obviously, the winner of your league, that's the number one. Number two is who won the President's Trophy. Then number three is who came in second place in the playoffs. The number four is going to be whoever had the most points in the regular season. So we're trying to like, you know, give the regular season a bit more weight that's one thing uh the other big change we're making is that we're making it a lot harder to stick in a top tier so uh, tier one get ready for this you might you might want to sit down only four people are sticking in tier one this year what instead of six so uh get out yeah but that means more opportunities for more people to climb and it's like that in all the top tiers so if you don't that's fine right if you if you're in a high tier and then you don't have the best season you'll get relegated down and then you climb back up and you let someone else get a chance to be in a high tier so our goal moving forward is to make it easier to climb and harder to stay in a a top tier so obviously you could look at the breakdown of exactly how it'll work for each division those are a couple of the uh, small things that are part of our new promotion and relegation package so uh if you're not in the couple by the way uh we have a wait list and you know this is the time of the year where some people will decide that oh my life's too busy i don't have time you know, it's rare we have a really good league with a lot of great people but you know with like 600 plus people there's going to be a few people who just decide it's not for them and so if you sign up for the wait list we might be able to get you a team. So you could go to wackacouple.com, kkupfl.com to find the link for that. Oh, yeah. One more quick announcement. Uh, this is exciting for anyone playing. We have this thing called the Fast Track, where no matter what tier you're in, if you have the most points in all of the Cacupful in the regular season, then you just get a Fast Track right up to Tier 1 the next year. Uh, this year, there's going to be two Fast Tracks. And the second most points of all of the Cacupful is going to go get a Fast Track to Tier 3. 
So uh, anyways, there's going to be more details posted, but just wanted to share with everyone all of the the big stuff here that's happening over at Cupful headquarters. But uh, Brian, with that, I'm ready to get... KKUPFL.com. Yes, of course. Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. All all of this, if you missed it, you can read it in the rules, which are up there, and find out everything else you need to know about our amazing league. And like, you can check out the standings, two and tier one, find the, the 10 suckers who are going to get booted or get slated to get booted from our top tier. Yeah, and one of them may be me because I had Zach Wierenski on my team. So let's get into the injuries and outjury section of the show. And we're going to start in Columbus where, like, basically the whole team is injured. Like, let me just run down the list here. Bokvist, he's got a broken foot. He's got gone a while. Danforth, remember when we were talking for a second that Danforth was going to get on the top line with line A out? Anyways, he's gone, I think, for the season. Uh, Blankenberg finished that last game. And then afterwards, turned out he's going to be out six to eight weeks with a ankle fracture and ankle sprain okay good branson you know he's day-to-day uh, another defenseman if you're keeping track Volkvist, uh blankenberg good branson's three defensemen corrales out vora checks out indefinitely and then of course the biggest headline zach Wierenski, labrum and shoulder separation so out for the season huge blow Wierenski was in the middle of a huge game uh was gonna have a great season i'm sure now he's gone uh moving forward jake bean is the guy who took over on the top power play for that game uh, on thursday and then yesterday in the 4-3 overtime loss to the islanders and bean had himself a game two assists including a power play assist he played 21 minutes and 10 seconds uh, when last week he was having games of like 10 to 15 minutes. So obviously, I guess opportunity knocks and Jake Bean has answered it so far. I uh, had the opportunity to add him when I saw that Wierenski got hurt and I maybe like a dum-dum. I thought to myself, eh, what are the ch- he's Jake Bean, right? What are the chances he's going to like become valuable all season? And you know, I still kind of feel that way, but I think in the meantime, probably I should have just jumped on him. I had one ad left, and I decided to go with Jonathan Taves, who was also coming off a big game and has a good schedule next week. Uh, so anyway, Brian, how badly do you think I blew it here by not jumping on Jake Bean when I had the chance? And and how much should our listeners who still have him available in free agency be jumping to Adam? Elon, I'm going to call you the Seattle Kraken because you both didn't jump on Jake Bean when you had the chance. And I, I don't blame you. You you followed their precedent. Remember, Jake Bean was surprisingly to all of us left unprotected by Carolina heading into the Kraken expansion draft. And then the Kraken passed on him. They didn't take Jake Bean. They took uh, Hayden Flurry instead from Carolina, which, of course, has not amounted to anything And meanwhile, Seattle still doesn't have a power play one defenseman. So I wonder if there's something to that, Elon. Like, maybe that played a reason why you didn't go jump on him. You know, he he didn't gain any traction with Carolina, um, who had roles or possibilities for him to play. Remember, they brought in Tony D'Angelo instead of uh, going with Jake Bean or giving him big opportunities. Uh, Same with, well, I guess Dougie Hamilton was there for a while, but that's maybe a bit of a different story. But Carolina didn't show faith in the former uh, second round pick. Uh, Seattle didn't take him. And then Carolina traded Jake Bean, said, we're done with the guy. Traded him to Columbus for that classic second round pick, which is what you get back for a player that once had some upside, but hasn't really shown any since then. And as you said, Elon, even Columbus hasn't known what to do with Jake Bean. He had that 10 minute a night game, which is like, that's fourth line forward minutes. That's not third pair D minutes. The third pair D plays the 15 minutes that Bean was averaging basically up until that point. But then something must have started going right because even before Wierenski got injured, maybe this had to do with Blankenberg being out too. Jake Bean played 19 minutes a night. That was a season high. And then Zach Wierenski got hurt. 
Bean played 26 minutes, played 21 minutes the next game, the next full evening that Zach Wierenski was not in the game. So clearly there's a huge opportunity here for Jake Bean. Does it mean, like, were you dumb to not run? I don't think so. I think it was reasonable to maybe save a move, depending on how moves are meted out in your league. Nothing has really screamed massive upside about Jake Bean from his career history, of course. He's also never really had consistent opportunity, but again, that's because he keeps getting passed over to be given that sort of opportunity. Now Columbus is in a position where we'll see whether or not they continue giving him opportunity, or they're like, hey, I want to see what, uh, you know, what, uh, I don't know, Gavrikov can do here. I was going to try and name more players who might have a shot, but uh, there really aren't any. If, if you look down the decor, uh, I could, Andrew P. I could name you one. There's a yeah, go there's for a it. defenseman named Marcus Bjork who came in for his first game of his career and he scored and he had two shots and, and yeah. four hits. So I don't know who this guy is, but maybe I mean I, it's not like Jake Bean is someone who all of a sudden becomes to me someone who I feel like can't be bumped. So who knows? Maybe Marcus Bjork. I would have thought Blankenberg would have gotten a shot. And maybe would have done something with this opportunity or Bokefist. Yeah. Yeah, like Jake Bean is basically the fourth choice for this role, and the three guys above him have all been injured. So that I think that still speaks to how maybe we should be hesitant. Elon, I, I think for anybody needing a D or to replace a D, it's not a bad gamble to take, right? And hold him for a week or two, see what happens. Kind of like when we all raced to go grab Matt Grizzlick. Uh, when was it? A year ago, two years ago, both of those times. And then he didn't really pan out to anything, but at least you had dibs. So you can go and get your dibs on Jake Bean. But I'd say, uh, as with Grizzlick, there's definitely no guarantee or obvious indication that he's going to break out. Columbus's power play has struggled. I don't think it obviously helps at all. Like Zach Wierenski is a huge shooter and part on that power play. So we'll see how the whole thing adjusts. They still have Goudreau. They still have Liney. But that's, um, I don't know. It's kind of, Elon, if you if you look around the league at top power play units, it's now definitely one of the thinnest ones out there. Like how many other top power plays in the league would Jack Roslevic, Jake Bean, and I don't know, even Boone Jenner? How many would <laughs> they make? Not a ton. Yeah, but then Goudreau and Liney, pretty top heavy there. So... Yeah, I think, and sometimes it's also like the sum isn't equal to the parts, or you know, whatever that saying is, right? Like, I mean, like, like maybe they just like work well together. Sometimes you have a top power play of all superstars, and they're not even doing that well. So we'll have to wait and see, like, how things click. Jake Bean, power play assist in his first game, right? So they're they're one for one in terms of games with power play goals. Let's see how they do in their next game. Four games for Columbus next week. So I'd say grab Jake Bean if he's out there. Give him this four game trial, and then you know reassess once you've given him some time. Assuming he even holds that spot, then you hold him for the whole week. Uh, I mentioned Marcus Bjork. I was going to ask you who he is, but let's just move on. Uh, for people who held Elvis Mers Lickens after he got blown up by Colorado last week, they were rewarded with no games. They waited like five, six days to get their next Mers Lickens game, and then he didn't even play this week. Eunice Corposalo got Thursday versus Philly, where he did really well. He stopped 32 of 34 in the win, and then he was rewarded with the Saturday start, and he stopped a 42 of a massive 46 shots against in the overtime loss to the Islanders. And Brian, you know how I feel about overtime losses. I feel like you got to bump up Corposalo's save percentage even more because those overtime goals are hard to stop when it's three on three so at this point is it fa- like maybe it's too premature to say that Eunice has like taken over the net but i feel like uh, i'd be it's really hard like i, I already was like really down on <laughs> mers lickens even before corpus Allo came in and had a couple good games uh now i just feel like why even hold elvis mers lickens who may have been bumped or maybe is at best like a 50 50 timeshare on a bad team who's and he's like doing terribly this season so i'm not saying necessarily to rush and grab Eunice corpus Allo, though maybe he is interesting maybe he's like found something remember that year when it was like elvis's first year i think it was or second year and then he and 
Corpus Allo were both like doing so amazing and like no matter who played and it was just like one would get injured and the other would go on fire and the other would get injured and the other one would go on fire anyways maybe Corpus Allo has found whatever that was and like this is still a really weak team so it's hard for me to say that Corpus Allo is going to be a savior but I would have said the same thing about Martin Jones a few weeks ago look how he's been so anyways my main question and point is Elvis is totally a drop now right and it's just a matter of deciding if you want Corpus Allo or just to avoid Columbus goalies completely yeah I, like, I, I want to go with you because you sound so confident in what you're saying. I, I do have an alternate explanation, and it sort of relies on the fact that Columbus is invested long-term in Merzlikens and Eunice Corpusalo. They signed in the offseason to a one-year contract for $1.3 million. They decided they, they could use him for one more year, but we weren't even sure he was going to return to Columbus when the last season ended. So I don't know that Columbus wants Corpusalo to be their guy. And I wonder if what Corpusalo doing well right now, by the way, Corpusalo with those performances you mentioned, Elon, 941 and 913 from this past week, those were the first and third best goalie performances respectively in Columbus of their season so far. And you know, we, I, I poo-pooed Corpusalo pretty hard last week and I still don't really believe in him. You mentioned that one solid stretch and that is his career that one solid stretch and honestly i think the wheels were even coming off towards the end of that anyway so i think maybe what corpusalo playing well does is it gives merzlikens a breather from being just shelled every night and not being able to pick up his game get takes a little vacation i see you i see you not you're not feeling uh, wi- this explanation. Wishful, wishful thinking i think as someone who yeah, has I, merzlikens maybe, <laughs> oh yeah, honestly i i this is me without that even without that lens even am i gonna dump merzlikens no i think i'd i think i'll wait just a little longer if i can hack it which basically i can't um, you know, we'll see if I shuffle them out. You can probably shuffle them out without much ado around it either and get them back if you want. But that's, I, I choose to see this, uh, the glass being half full here for Alvis Merzlikens. Right. That Corpus Allo playing well means he has some time to work on his game, to sort things out, to watch a bit and get his bearings. Can you imagine Elon going to your job every day and just getting wrecked? And it's a job you used to be good at and you're supposed to be good at. Like, wh- where's the chance for you to get back on your feet? So that's yeah, well, that's how I choose he's to had see like this two for weeks. Elvis Merzlikens. He's had two weeks to watch, I guess, and sit around. So we'll see. But I feel like, oh, fine. One more game. Come on. Like, how much longer are we going to tell people? Like, he's been terrible also. It's like you're waiting for him not only to get games. No, okay. And then when he gets the game, he actually has to do something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Brian, like, in so, this league where you have Elvis, if I may. Yeah. And, like, whatever. No judgment. Your team's probably better than my team. But uh, today I just added Cam Talbot, who we're going to talk about a little later. I feel like you should have definitely swapped uh, Merzlikens for Cam Talbot a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it depends what you're looking for. It, for volume, I'll go Merzlikens. Well, for I, I disagree. For quality, I think you could go... Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get there. You know, <laughs> we'll get there very soon. I just... For, look, for volume I, I from a goalie who hasn't played since. Like, yeah, I don't. I d- this is the goalie right, we'll that see. Columbus is invested in, and I don't think you need to. I don't think you need to hold him. Like you don't don't have a death grip on Elvis Merzlikens on your roster. You can let him go freely, but I'm not writing him off for the full okay, season. Yeah. So if he is dropped in your league, he's been dropped in tier one a couple. I just noticed. Uh, I'm not going to add him, but I am going to add him to my watch list. And yeah, maybe I'll add him for a spot start next time he plays. And then if he does well, we'll hold on. We'll see how things go from there. But it might be tough with this Columbus D. Uh, also. 
I'll just mention quickly since we're at, we'll just do the whole show about Columbus, right? Like, I got to mention Emil Bemstrom, right? He got the call up with all these injuries and he's been producing in his two games, right? Like, no points, but five shots versus Philly. Then he had a golden assist and three shots versus the Islanders. He's playing on a high line, right? With Nyquist and Roslevic. Uh, so, Brian, do you think, uh, again, I said that Columbus is playing four times next week. Maybe Bemstrom in a deeper league, like the Cupful, maybe worth a look if you could fit him in your roster for like three out of those four games. Yeah, Bemstrom has looked really good in the AHL so far this year. Seven goals, seven assists for 14 points in 10 games with Cleveland, the monsters of the AHL. Deployment is definitely a problem, though. If you're not playing with Goudreau and Line, who are playing together, you're kind of nowhere in Columbus. So that's where Bemstrom finds himself. And remember, we did see 41 games from Bemstrom last year, 10 and a half minutes a night. Uh, he had 11 points in those 41 games. Maybe he gets a little more deployment, like uh, some more minutes this time around, but I don't know the line mates are going to be any better. And that's a concern. But Elon, as you said, four game week, you could try him for the first game, maybe the first two, see how far he goes uh, with his success in the AHL. So far this year, that's big. That's That shows that maybe there's a step that's been taken. It's just going to be hard to produce anywhere off of line one in Columbus. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to mention Bamstrom, but I would let someone else grab him and I'd get maybe someone who's a little bit more established. But that's just the way I play, I guess. Another D injury and goalie out jury to cover now in Ottawa, similar to Columbus, right? So the D in question is Thomas Shabbat, who hopefully is not as bad as Zach Wierenski, but he is on the IR now. So it looks like he'll be out at least a week. We'll have to see. Yeah, he was hit from behind uh, versus Philly uh subs also versus Philly huh. I don't know maybe it's dangerous to play this team anyways uh, yeah. so Shabbat wasn't a practice today uh Andrea had already wanted us to talk about Shabbat she asked us to because he'd been really cold right like Wierenski had scored in that game and got hurt actually Shabbat did also score in the game where he got hurt but before that he was pointless in six so I was gonna ask you Brian so I might as well still do it like if Shabbat hadn't gotten hurt and I brought him up in the streak section of the show would you have said not to worry or were you starting to have concerns about Thomas Shabbat and the season that he was putting together no I, I wasn't starting to have concerns just because you know I think if I haven't said it enough like my expectations for Shabbat are very low. I mean, like Ottawa hasn't been doing great as a, as a whole offensively. They haven't been terribly consistent. Although the offense looks pretty good, I think they've just run into some hot goaltending at times when they have been looking like they deserve a few more goals. Of course, the 35 point pace is below even my expectations, and I, I he's just been less involved in the offense on the ice, and I, I like has been participating less on goals scored, and I don't think that was sustainable. So I honestly, I think he was probably still on track for you know that 50 ish point pace, give or take, once things leveled out and regressed, but. That's that's about it that I expect from Thomas All Shabbat. Right. So if yeah, so not too bad a, that for him to get injured. Does that answer your question? Yeah, so yeah, you're not crying if you have to put him on your IR because you were probably like struggling deciding whether you wanted to hold him anyway. In the meantime, uh, I guess the new Jake Bean in Ottawa is another Jake, Jake Sanderson. He took over the top power play for the Sens in the game where Shabbat got injured. He put up his third straight game of three shots, which is nice to see. No points, though. Overall, he has seven assists in 14 games on the season. Still no goals. He's a rookie, you know, high pedigree guy. Brian, let's say you're looking at your free agency. You need a defenseman. You could grab Jake Sanderson or you could grab Jake Bean, two guys who are going to potentially get a shot on the top power play for a little bit with an injured star. Who would you take? I think I would take... I think I'll take Jake Sanderson just because his opportunity seems locked in, even though I don't know that Shabbat's injury provides a whole lot of new opportunity for him. Like the challenge for Sanderson is that Shabbat was playing too many minutes 
as it was. Um, like Shabbat was averaging over 25 minutes a night, but the last two games before he got hurt, Shabbat played 32 minutes and 29 minutes. And it was, it's unreasonable the way that the Sens are lean so hard on Thomas Shabbat. And what I'm saying about how that impacts Sanderson is I'm not sure all those minutes can go to Jake Sanderson or any one person. So this might not be a big bump in opportunity for Sanderson, who, by the way, is also getting plenty of power play opportunity, still more on the second unit type share of power play time, but still decent. And he's actually done very well with the time he's had four power play points in 14 games. That's a 23 power play point pace. And I'm actually not sure that he's going to be able to do better than that, even if he were to get say the 55% deployment instead of the 45% power play share of minutes in Ottawa. Uh, The good news for Ottawa is that Sanderson has looked like really confident, really poised with the puck. He still makes some rookie mistakes that you'd expect a 19-year-old to make on the blue line, but really he is also doing a lot of things that you wouldn't expect a 19-year-old. Like He's making a lot fewer mistakes than you might have thought Jake Sanderson would. So I I don't think Shabbat being out is going to spike Sanderson's points, I think his value could at least stay about the same as it is now. And maybe, of course, gets a bit of a bump. Uh, Like, I can't rule that out completely. Someone who might do a little less than Jake is, uh, I'll, I'll also mention Eric Brandstrom, who might be the other, like the guy who takes Sanderson's power play spot, right? Like Shabbat gets knocked out, that moves Sanderson up the up the pecking order, and then Brandstrom gets to enter the pecking order, maybe uh, maybe he gets a bit more uh, opportunity to produce here. And also keep an eye on the rest of the decor, which is just some other guys for getting more minutes and maybe putting up some peripherals. I know they called up Jacob Larson from their AHL team, and uh, I don't have much of a scouting report on him. I would just keep an eye on the Ottawa minutes, keep an eye on the Ottawa peripherals. And Sanderson is gone in every league I'm in already before this injury, but Brandstrom might be the guy that you might be able to capitalize on adding to your team mm, yeah i don't know I, he burned us a bit last year because shabbat got injured and brandstrom did get the top power play when it was just one top power play and he still didn't do anything so i don't know I, i'm just gonna say jake bean out of like of these sense defensemen or jake bean i'll take bean right now also like Wierenski out for the season so that you know shabbat could come back at some point uh I, since we're here i guess i said i was gonna bring it up T- cam talbot had a good game versus philly right he's up 38 of 39 meanwhile anton forsberg the last time we saw him he dropped his fifth game in a row on Thursday. He led in four goals on 41 shots in the overtime loss to Jersey. Last week, I said on the show, when we talked about the Sens, that you can just drop Forsberg as I see it being 50-50 at best. Now I'm kind of reassessing this. I kind of feel like we might be in for a run of games for Talbot, as long as he could do well. Obviously, it's up to Talbot now. To, but I think the Sens need to get back on track here. Forsberg's just been losing and losing. Talbot just had a good game. If I were to guess, Talbot's going to get the game on Monday, and then if he wins, I think he'll get the game on Wednesday. Obviously, this is just, you know, what I, I'm not in the locker room i'm not in meetings with dj smith and company but i think that there's a chance here for talbot to take the reins as a number one goalie and if he's available like he was for me in our uh, league that we're in together yeah i'd grab him because uh you know you never know obviously again like yeah i'm sure you're going to come on now and say talbot hasn't played well in so long and you don't have confidence in him but you know what we would have said the same thing about martin jones and then you would have passed on him and then you would have passed on a volume starting goalie in seattle who's doing pretty well so i think talbot is someone that people should grab if he's available in free agency right now for sure yeah you like you can go grab kim talbot and i'll say it for sure 
I'll say that also the the bad news for anybody tending twine for the senators right now is that the top pairings out. Like uh, we also got news that Artem Zub, his return to the lineup may be further away than was once hoped for. So now you have Shabbat and Zub both out for the foreseeable future. And that decor was already extremely thin in Ottawa. Um, They've waived Nikita Zaitsev, right? So like, because he wasn't, up to any, he wasn't playing up to NHL standards, so that could actually be a, a plus. But it just shows how thin this team is on D. Like Travis Hamonic, Nick Holden, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker uh, as a you know a rookie JBD the league, yeah JBD another another no DAC product. This is a really suspect decor in Ottawa right now, and it it hasn't seemed like DJ Smith behind the bench knows how to make that work very well. So Talbot and Forsberg. Whoever's in net is going to see a lot of rubber. And what you said about Talbot, Elon, that, you know, go ahead and get Talbot. I think he might get a, a run of starts here. He seems to be doing really well. I honestly think that you might repeat that sentence every couple of weeks and just flip the names. I, I don't know that this is a situation in Ottawa between Talbot and Forsberg that we need to revisit every time that a guy plays two or three good games in a row because it's going to happen but the question is, is it going to happen for more than two weeks at a time? And is the guy actually ever going to get to play more than like or play well enough I to earn, you. say, t- two out of every three starts? So, of course, it's important to be reactionary and on top of things in your leagues, depending on your format. But and and if so, you should stay on top of this. But on the whole, Elon, if you're asking me, like from now to the end of the season, what share of games Talbot plays, I'm going to say 50 percent. Maybe he plays 60 or 70% over the next week or two, but then it's going to be 30% after that. Yeah. That's still that's still my thought. Yeah, I mean, again, at the end of the day, it's a hunch thing, and you're right, Brian, but the thing is, I just feel like we have a small sample size right now. Like, Talbot's been hurt for most of the year, so I feel like I'm not going to just, like, jump to this conclusion that it's 50-50 now. I think that let's see what happens, and I think I'd rather just have Talbot while we're seeing what happens. And then you're right. Like, if, like, in a couple weeks, like, Forsberg is doing better and he's getting starts, then, I, yeah, I'm not going to bring up on the show every single week who's getting more starts in Ottawa. But for now, I feel like this is an opportunity. Forsberg's been bad. Talbot you know, is just back now. They did just trade for him. So I feel like the Sens would be very happy for Talbot to prove that they made a smart trade and to give him some games. So obviously he has to earn it. So we'll see. He's someone I would definitely jump on right now. Uh, so the team that I said beat up on Forsberg uh, in his last game was the Devils. So let's go to the Devils where Vitek Vanacek was hurt. Uh, looks like he's going to be fine, by the way. So we don't need to talk. I just wanted to bring it up to let people know that uh, already Nico Dawes was called up and sent down. Uh, Kira Schmidt got a game, but Vanacek is back. And we already said last week that Blackwood was out long term and you should jump on Vanacek so I still feel this way we talked about how New Jersey is like such a strong team and Vanacek is going to be their volume starter so definitely get him if he's somehow still out there for you uh, I wanted to also mention a forward quickly on New Jersey we've given a lot of love to a lot of players uh, specifically Nico Heischer right like he's just having this amazing season who would have thought he'd have more points than Jack Hughes at this point and I believe in Nico Heischer. So I think it's starting to become time to look at his line mates and jump on them just because they're playing with Heischer. And one guy that's on fire right now, right along with Nico, is Thomas Tatar. He had a goal and an assist versus Arizona yesterday. That brings Tatar to nine points in his last seven games. This is a guy who's like used to be good at getting points. Already had a 74-point pace back in 2019-20 with Montreal before falling off the map. Now he's pacing for 60 in New Jersey and obviously rising very quickly. So Brian, do you think Tatar can keep this up if he's going to stick on this line with Heischer? 
Yeah, and that second part is the real key. If he sticks on this line with Hishir, I think Tatar is going to be in really great shape. And obviously, I'm frustrated. Someone in our, one of our patrons on our Discord server predicted, I am mad that Tomas Tatar has forsaken me. This is what I hoped for last season from Tatar when he first came to New Jersey. I thought, oh, great, he's going to have either Jack Hughes or Nico Hishir as his center. And he's, he's a good winger for one of them. And of course, somehow he wasn't a winger for either of them. And now, this season, that Tatar is playing with Hishir, 60-point pace with zero power play production so far. And I think this is entirely because of the line he's playing on. Nico Hishir, we know, we've talked about. He's been extremely productive. And you have to give Tatar credit, too, for what he's contributing to the line. This line, their on-ice numbers, are far and away above where uh, where Tatar was last year, and actually far and away above most of the rest of the league. If you look at Anais expected goals for, Tomas Tatar ranks in the top 20 in total expected goals that he's been on the ice for, and he's played significantly fewer minutes than the guys above and below him on the list. If you control for time on ice, Tatar ranks third in the league in on ice expected goals for per 60 minutes. So this is just proof that he is privy to a ton of fantastic offensive opportunity and like this is earned right usually uh if i talk about someone scoring too much that's that's actual goals and that's shooting percentage this is how dangerous this line is while they're on the ice and they are doing a fantastic job interestingly enough some other names on this list uh jason zucker jordan martinook crushing me this week in the cupful by my Jesse Severe of Fantasy Hockey Life. Just really like those guys. So I'm actually wondering if this is an interesting stat to look at to find some other sort of under the radar guys like Elon Miles Wood is also up here in the top 20. Yeah, we talked about Someone him last week. Someone you mentioned week. last week, Eric Haula, who's sort of been on our radar, Carter Verhage's in the top 22. It's a really interesting list and someone will also get to Michael Bunting is in the top 25 with Austin Matthews. So these this this describes players who are on the ice for a lot of grade A offensive chances for, given the time that they actually spend out on a shift. And uh, Tomas Tatar looks really great that way. So good for Tomas Tatar. I think 60-point pace with no power play production, I think this is sustainable. He's just got to stick with Heeshear. And so long as it's clicking... That's great. I, I, I think he will stay there. And I think he sure is going to make sure it keeps clicking. So Tatar seems like someone you should probably go out and grab. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. He is looking really good. And that line is going to be good. And I guess and then I should also mention, by the way, the other guy on that line has been Fabian Zetterland, who if you can't get Tatar, Zetterland also has four points in his last four games. It's been taking shots. So there's a lot of a lot of meat over in New Jersey there. There's a lot of guys who can get you points. So you definitely want to check and see if you can fit some New Jersey guys in next week. All right, Brian, we still have more injuries to get to. This is supposed to be the depressing part of the show. So we'll get Get back to all of that sadness in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back, Brian. Let's go to Carolina, where Tavo Teravine was placed on the IR on Saturday, joining Frederick Anderson, who got hurt earlier in the week. So those are two big names down for Carolina. Though I, I can't imagine the Teravine managers are that concerned. They were probably thinking of dropping him, like I said about Shabbat, right? So now they get to just stash him in IR. Hopefully he has a nice break and refines whatever game he's lost this season somehow. Uh, of course, though, Teravine did have two assists versus Edmonton in his last game. So that could have maybe been the start of something. Hopefully he's not out too long. So here were the lines in the 4-1 loss to Colorado. And I should just say that this doesn't matter because they lost 4-1 to and the lines actually started with Stefan Nason, 
Brian, last week, I believe you said Neeson or something. But anyways, I looked it up. It's Nason. So we're going with Nason. He was playing with Aho and Svechnikov to start the game. And then they already started switching it around mid-game. And then it was Aho with Nichas and Svechnikov, leaving Nason to play with Jarvis and Kakaniemi, which in other words is there was one good line and then no one that's interesting in fantasy at all. So assuming they stick with what they did mid-game, and obviously we'll just have to keep checking, you know, gamedaytweets.com and see what the lines are before every practice for Carolinas are trying to figure things out. If it's going to be Aho Sveshnikov and Martin Nechas as the top line, that just leaves nobody, right? Like Seth Jarvis is somehow 36% rostered on Yahoo still. He's pointless and four, like a major snoozer to me. I don't know why anyone would be holding him. He's also off the top power play for a long time now. So are, are you with me, Brian? Like, you know, Aho Sveshnikov, I'll just keep saying those three. Those are the forwards you want. And then I guess you want Brent Burns, and then I think I've just listed all the players you want. I guess we'll talk about the goalies in a little bit. But I think I've just listed the four players that are not goalies that you're interested in in Carolina right now. You know, I'm going to throw out three more, Elon. And it goes back to what I just said about on ice expected goals for uh, Jordan Martinuk, Jordan Stahl, and Jesper Faust all have points in consecutive games. I know this only, like this isn't because you haven't been combing, you know, with a fine-tooth comb all, all the numbers, because Martin Nook and Stahl are on Jesse's team against me. Are you, like, mentioning these names just to say they've done well, or to actually recommend that people should be looking no, to add these players? I'm I'm curious to see. They all they each have points in consecutive games. Their line is producing a lot of quality chances. Maybe this is just an as-of-late thing. And yeah, I'm not going to burn my roster down so I can get Jordan Stahl, uh, Martin Nook, or Fast on my team. But in a deeper league, like, if you're looking at Stefan Nason... I would also take a quick peek at one of these three guys. <laughs> I've, okay, like, I'm just going to say right now, I am not co-signing this. And if you add one of those three players, don't, like, mention me in a tweet. This is, <laughs> this is such a reversal of roles. You're always talking about wanting to add Jordan Stahl, and I'm saying no. Jordan Stahl? Yeah. Like years ago. This reminds me of a, I joined the short shifts a couple of weeks ago or last week, and like Ben asked me about Nick Jensen, and I was like, he was like, Nick Jensen's gotten points in a couple of games. And I was like, what? Who? Why are we? Why are we talking? That's how I feel about this. Like, I guess for Fast and Jordan Martinuk mentioned, but okay, those are names that Brian's throwing out there. Let's talk about the goalies, okay? So Anderson's out. Everyone rushed to grab Ranta. Ben and Lewis recommended grabbing Ranta, and I, for good reason. You know, when the goalie gets injured, you want the backup because he becomes a starter. It's a good team. I mentioned in the Discord. I'm not saying I was right, but so far. I feel pretty good about this take that I'm not so into adding Ranta for two reasons. Number one, it's just hard for me to imagine him being like, even if Anderson was out for the season, I just don't see Ranta being a volume starter. I feel like if they play more than 50% of the games, they're risking him getting hurt. Like he's just too brittle. I'm sorry. So I just feel like he's not going to be a volume starter either way. And then also there's the fact that Carolina, like even whenever I do stream in Auntie Ranta for a game, and even if he wins, he still doesn't give me many fantasy points because Carolina just doesn't let in that many shots generally. And also let me throw out a third reason this guy, uh, Peter Kochikov, might be pretty good, okay? he's like He was a 36 overall pick in 2019, so he's still pretty young. He's only played one game so far, but he was really good. He stopped 20 of 22 versus Edmonton in a win. My prediction, and again, this is like Brian's prediction with Ottawa. We have no way to know, so it's just a gut feeling. I think it's going to be 50-50, Kachikov and Ranta, until Anderson is back. So that kind of makes neither of them that interesting to me in terms of someone to rush to add. It's just like another tandem on a solid team, and you stream them in. But yeah, if, if I had Ranta... I wouldn't be too feel too bad about dropping him, but maybe you'll tell me that I'm being dumb and like obviously you want Ranta right now with Anderson out, and I would definitely respect that. Yeah, I think I would prefer Ranta to who to like. Well, I, I'd take him to Talbot. I think he's going to yeah, start disagree. more often and more reliably. Definitely disagree. Wow, lots of lots of polite disagreements <laughs> on this episode. I like it. I, I also like the take that the the Canes aren't going to run Ranta, and we've also talked about. I mean, I guess 
look, if I want wins, I'll go Ranta. If I want volume, sure. Like Forsberg, uh, Talbot is probably going to make the saves in one game that Ranta takes two games to to make. And we talked about last week the trouble of having a goalie on a really strong defensive team uh, that you you know you let in two goals on twenty shots and it's not pretty numbers at the end of the night. Uh, but for Ka- Kachikov, I, like I'm I'm interested in watching what this guy does. Strong numbers in the KHL before coming over to North America last season. Had a good AHL debut last year. A little cup of coffee in the NHL for Kachikov. He went uh, it went well enough. Nine oh six save percentage over three appearances. And this season so far in five appearances with the AHL's Chicago Wolves, Kachikov has nine uh, nine eleven save percentage. Uh, pedigree seems like maybe he could be something there's nothing to there's no like this guy's supposed to be a sure thing blue chip prospect not the way we've heard about other russians coming over like samsonov or shastyorkin or even uh, or sorokin or even askarov most recently you know and again elon i don't think i'm gonna say that it's 50 50 between Kachikov and Ranta, but I think it's a, it's a good observation that it may not be Ranta running the table here, especially since Carolina, they're not a team that needs to lean too hard on their goalie to win. Yeah. And I just, they can't afford a Ranta injury. So I just think it would be a mistake. I mean, it's, maybe it's a hot take. I don't know. I think it's going to be 50 50. So it'll be fun to check back in a couple of weeks and see if I was right. Uh, let's go now. Na- You're probably right, Brian. This is, that's why it makes it a hot take, right? So I'm trying to be interesting here. I'm trying to make a Can cool I- podcast that says something different. Also, I'm, I'm a little stung by your dismissal of that Carolina line. I, was, and- I, I just want to go back to them. I thought no, the comparison- oh, we don't have time to talk about no, these guys just, more. Just for a second, you talked about Emil Bemstrom no, earlier in the show. You. <laughs> okay, fine. So what is it? Fast, Martinuk, and who? Jordan Stahl? Or Emil Bemstrom, assuming you get the same number of games played between them. I don't want any of them. I don't know. Okay, well, okay, so that's that's it. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Like, you brought up Bemstrom because you thought there was something discussion-worthy. I brought up these guys. Fair. I thought they were discussion-worthy. Okay. Run, not seeing run out and get them. I'm not saying they're not discussion-worthy, but I asked you if you're bringing them up just to talk about their production, or are you recommending them? And you said you are recommending. That's the thing where I'm okay. throwing some disagreement uh, on. Maybe, so maybe that was maybe that was the wrong reaction from me. I, I will revise it. I'm bringing them up just to talk about their production. Oh, okay. And maybe in a deep... If you're in a deep... Well, sure. for Bemstrom, I said if you're in a deep enough league with those four games help, do it. Same with these guys. Okay, I'd probably prefer Bemstrom, actually, now that I think about it. But I, I, hopefully you could do better. Maybe you could do better in Calgary. There's another random name I'm going to throw Okay, so Jonathan Huberdeau has been injured, and I was going to talk about it. Was like really weird, right? Because he was in a walking cast, but they were saying it was an upper body injury. But then now it turns out he's actually fine, and he was at practice today. And he says the walking cast was just because of some like bruise or whatever. But he's like totally fine. Uh, so in practice today, if I go head on over quickly to GameDayTweets.com here, we were seeing that Huberdeau didn't go back to his spot on the top line. So while he was gone, there was a guy named Adam Ruzica who had taken Huberdeau's spot both on line one and power play one. So in practice today, Ruzica sticks on line one. Huberdeau is playing on a line with Backlund and Trevor Lewis. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm just like, by the, I'm just reading this. Okay. I'm as baffled as you listener. Okay. Then Kadri centering Manchapani and Milan Lucic. Milan Lucic, top sixer, of course. So these are the lines that they're going to go with, I guess, for the next game. The top power play, Huberdeau is back. So Huberdeau did bump Ruzica from the top power play. And who knows? Obviously, like a game hasn't even happened. I'm just telling you practice lines from today. Uh, but yeah, Brian, I guess I'll ask you, like, who TF is Adam Ruzica? Because not only did he get in a good spot, but he produced. He had a power play assist versus New Jersey on Tuesday. He didn't get a point on Thursday, but had four shots. And then on Saturday, a goal and an assist. So this is a guy who was, you know, is a top liner. Three points in his last three games. I think I'll take him over Martinuk. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? 
Yeah, maybe I will. I mean, all these guys are really on the fringe there. Uh, Adam Ruzichka is a pretty interesting uh, uh, look, and I'm I'm glad you 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 pulled him for us to look at. The 23 year old from Bratislava, Slovakia, was drafted in the fourth round by Calgary back in 2017, 109th overall. No relation to uh, former Boston legend, not really Vladimir Ruzichka, whose own kid is actually named Vladimir Ruzichka. Believe it or not, funny Vladimir Ruzichka story. Elon, I uh, I I had a stick at home from Vlad. He he broke his stick in an NHL game. He got mad. I guess he tossed it into the stands or something. And my parents caught it. He pulled a Matt Sundin. Yeah, but like I, I like thinking back, I'm like reviewing the facts as I say it out loud because he would have gotten in trouble. Maybe like he threw it into the bench or something and the equipment stuff. I don't know. I don't know how my parents would have been sitting close enough to receive the stick. But I remember being really young. They brought home a stick from Vladimir Ruzichka. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Anyway, back to Adam. Adam Ruzichka has been really well in the AHL last uh, last couple of years. 41 points in 44 AHL games for Stockton in the last two years, including 11 goals and 9 assists for 20 points in 16 AHL games so far this year. So playing with Lindholm and Toffoli, a guy with uh, some offensive pedigree here, not going to lie, I am kind of interested. I, we'll have to see just how long... He stays in this spot, especially with a healthy Jonathan Huberdo in the picture. But for as long as he's there playing with Lindholm and Toffoli, and like Lindholm is doing pretty well too at the moment, I might take a shot on him. And yes, before Bemstrom and before those three canes. Yeah, I mean, Ruzichka was getting healthy scratched before this Huberto injury, so definitely could change quickly. But it's nice to see he's doing something. Again, these, these are like really deep cuts. Uh, maybe a slightly lesser deep cut is over on defense in Calgary, where check your waiver wire for Noah Hannafin, because this is a guy who had a really good, I'd say breakout season last year, 49-point pace. Uh, he started the season pointless in eight games. He was probably drafted in most leagues and then dropped in a lot of those leagues. Brian, he was dropped again in the same joint league where I grabbed Camp Talbot. I also earlier this week added Noah Hannafin and I got perfect timing for me because he now has four points in his last five games. He's taken 19 shots in that span. You know how I love the shots. John Reed and I, my co-manager, we needed a D and we just grabbed him because I was like, yeah, I know he's cold, but uh, you know, uh, compared to everyone else out there, this is a guy who almost had 50 points last year. So anyways, I'm just curious to know, like how big of a steal do you think we got? Like, do you think Hannafin can be that 50 point guy again? Like he's not on the top power play, but he wasn't last year and he still did really well. And he's really on a hot streak. Now he's playing huge minutes. So I'm not saying like he's going to keep up like this pace, but do you think he can go back to what he did last year? I think he can get close. I really do. Last year, he had 13 power play points in 81 games from the second unit, which might have been like a small over overperformance and maybe why he was closer to 50 points than 45. But I still think Hannafin can get up there. I think he was also on the ice for like a really successful Calgary team like remember how well remember Johnny Gaudreau Matthew Kachuk also one time Calgary Flames with Elias Lindholm and how incredible that line was and I think Hannafin got in on some of that but the good news for Hannafin so far this year is that his line in terms of expected goals rates has actually been very similar to the line last year which was the best line he's ever played with Um, this year the difference so far for Hannafin I think has been that his line is just shooting his line mates are shooting just over six percent while he's on the ice um yeah i elon i had the same thought and i'm kicking myself for not picking up noah hennepin when i had the chance i don't think like i really have to be mad at myself because there might be more exciting names honestly i might i might be interested in trying jake bean 
not Eric Branstrom over <laughs> Noah Hannafin. Sure. Bean's um, taken now. Yeah, I probably would have. Yeah, gone well, exactly. Point, yeah. So, so maybe Hannafin is a is a decent consolation if he's still out there. Uh, you know, and also we have to forgive that slow start from Hannafin. Everyone in Calgary had a slow start. There was those team team wide adjustments that might still be happening. But for Hannafin, I love the shots on goal. Uh, I think he's probably a pretty safe forty five ish point guy. Doesn't get me like so excited, but he's really. Very valuable, Hannafin, is a potential ad for those who've lost a Zach Wierenski, for example, or you're just looking to round out your D depth. Uh, Noah Hannafin is, you know, one of the better names that should be at the top of your free agent list. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, let's go now to Edmonton. More injuries. We've already, Ben and Lewis have already talked about this, but Evander Kane is out for like three to four months with this terrible wrist injury that he had where he got... Yeah, anyways, they discussed the, the gory details, but, you know, uh, obviously, hopefully he'll recover, uh, you know, within the timeline. In the meantime, Dylan Holloway got first crack with Dreisaitl and Hyman on, I guess, the second line. Uh, that flop, He flopped. He stunk and was quickly swapped out in yesterday's win over Florida and Warren Fogle got in on that spot and he scored a goal. So okay, I guess I'm bringing up a lot of like, na- I'm realizing now a lot of names, a lot of people listening, like, why are you talking about all these like no name guys? But Hey, Warren Fogle was playing with dry settle and Hyman. He scored a goal. It was the game winning goal for whatever that's worth. Uh, so I don't know. I'll throw his name out there. Meanwhile, Ben pointed out on the show that this might be an opportunity for Yessi Pugliarvi to like stick in his spot with McDavid. Brian, remember when we used to like, Every week we would talk about who's playing with yes. McDavid and it mattered. Like it was like whoever like Zach Cassian was like having a career. Jesse Pugliarvi somehow he had an empty net assist yesterday, but no shots. And like that brought him to only three points on the season. He's been with McDavid like almost the whole time. Like that's crazy. And McDavid is like blowing the, the roof off. Like he's having an insane season. Like does the does Jesse Pugliarvi have an IPP of like five percent? Like I just don't understand. Like, is he just on the ice for all these goals and just like totally just you know i'm just gonna move some people out of the way for you connor so you can take care of everything like how is he doing so nothing from such a sweet roster spot well Pugliarvi has not been in such a sweet roster spot for most for most of the year and his ipp is actually his point he's participated on two-thirds of the goals he's been on the ice for but Pugliarvi has only been on the ice for three goals that's the problem. He's got a goal and a primary assist. So if he hasn't scored or created it, not much is happening for Pugliarvi while he's on the ice. Meanwhile, he's been on the ice for 10 goals against at five on five. The problem for Pugliarvi is he's been playing on a god-awful line with Ryan McLeod and Warren Fogle. This is not a good use of his talents. Pugliarvi himself is shooting 5%. With his line mates combined, they're all shooting 4%, generating barely two expected goals per 60 minutes at five on five, which is low like a a bad line uh, or a a line that doesn't excite me offensively is like two and a quarter expected goals per 60 minutes, Uh, barely two. That's really bad. That's one of the worst numbers you you see in the league for anyone who might offer any kind of offensive expectation. But but now he's with McDavid and and he's still doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and this is where the, the puzzle sort of the plot thickens with Pugliarvi. He's a guy that raises eyebrows. He has decent expected goals numbers for himself, but his conversion has never quite been there. He's also never really had super steady opportunity or confidence. He's now on his second coach, right? Last year we said, oh, well, Dave Tibbett doesn't like Pugliarvi. Well, apparently neither does Jay Woodcroft, who wouldn't give him top six billing, even when you think there could have been space made for him. So the fact that coaches aren't that excited to use him makes me wonder. So I, I, I'm at the point where last year I was a Pugliarvi believer if he just had the possibility or opportunity he could make something happen this year I'm kind of wondering like I I don't know what the deal is maybe a change of scenery would do him good while he's playing with McDavid I have a passing interest but not the same amount that I would have had last year 
Yeah, and then there's Fogel online too. I don't know if we're comparing these two to where were we? Like Ruzichka is the one we like the best of all these random no names. Is it still Ruzichka number one, or do one of these Oilers playing with like the top two scores in the league? <laughs> like, interesting. It's so wild that like I'm like not interested at all in Puliarvi and Fogel, even though they're playing with McDavid and Drysaddle. But here we are. Yeah, and Fogel has had like was playing on the line with Puliarvi, so similar challenges and a kind of similar profile over the years. In Carolina, I remember there was a time where he first sort of appeared to us and was like, oh, good, good shot rates from this guy. Seems to be shooting from good places on the ice. Maybe there's something to this if he got opportunity. And then he did and he didn't do anything. And then he did in Edmonton last year and he still didn't do anything. So Fogel is kind of in the same class of players, Pogliarvi, where even when they do get an opportunity, even though things look pretty healthy under the hood, neither one really seems to be able to convert. All right. So forget these guys. Uh, here's here's a big name that you shouldn't forget about in Edmonton. Stuart Skinner. Okay. Okay, come on. Another huge win. He's up 40 of 42. This is after Jack Campbell got destroyed by Carolina on Thursday. Like, when is Skinner going to huso Campbell's Binnington, right? And take over as the starter? Like, how has this not happened yet? I guess, you know, the contract, whatever. I'm not even going to, like, actually, like, dig into it. Like, what is there to say at this point, right, Brian? It's so clear that Skinner is better. And I, I would add him in fantasy just because I don't think Edmonton could keep playing Jack Campbell much longer without the fans just rioting, right? Like maybe I know that like Campbell had an interview and he was like, I know I need to be better, whatever. Like, you know, maybe he'll find, like, like he's like Merzlikens to me right now. Like I would, not too interested in Campbell. I'm really excited in uh, Stuart Skinner. And I'll throw another name at you so at least you can talk about two at a time here. Tyson Barry. Holy cow, two goals on Saturday. Turning to a draft steal, he fell so far in drafts, we all just assumed he wasn't going to hold power play one. And even if he did, he maybe wouldn't even do that well because last year was such a disaster. But he's now pacing for 62 points and climbing very quickly. Seems to me like at this point, Barry's like a sure bet to be on track for at least 60 points, if not more. Like he's just been so amazing. And like, I don't know, pour some cold water on me. Like I feel like if you could try to trade for Tyson Barry now and convince the manager that they're selling high, that would be a good idea. But maybe you'll tell me that it is actually a good time to sell high it's just such a good spot for him when he's producing so first on the goalie situation nothing's changed elon since last week right where campbell is struggling skinner's doing well the question is as you said when is edmonton actually going to let the scales tip towards skinner and at this point neither goalies really the goalies are dictating with their play campbell is not doing anything to tilt things back in his favor and skinner's doing his best to make the seesaw work even more in his favor so it is just a matter of when coaching staff gets on board or if they ever will with the investment they've made in jack campbell and that they chose i guess not to make in Stuart skinner they had him going into this offseason. They're like, you know what? We need a goalie signed at a pretty expensive contract for the next several years because Stuart Skinner is not going to be the guy. I don't know at what point they're ready to do an about face and say, oops, we got that wrong and Skinner's going to start while Campbell backs up. I think they probably want to keep giving Campbell opportunities to find his feet, find his game, but there's no sugarcoating how bad Campbell has been. And you can't also, you also can't ignore how freaking good Stuart Skinner has been it's funny the, the Oilers finally have a goalie Elon but they're in not, they must be in nods about it because it's not the way they expected it to happen you just got to go with um, it so, right just like good Skinner's your starter Campbell's your backup go win a cup like who cares don't don't fret it doesn't matter how the money is being allocated you have these two goalies I think Campbell is a very solid backup to have in order for to go on a cup run uh, yeah, a very expensive backup, but yeah, solid. And if Skinner ever, like if they do try and give Skinner the bulk of starts and he falters, look, you still have Jack Campbell. He's got a chance at being able to step in and do a decent job. Shams in the chat is asking, would you drop Campbell for a streamer like Goldie? See, depending on the format, if we're talking about Campbell 
as maybe a, a 50% sh- like timeshare goalie. Yeah, I think I would. He's not doing well when he does play and his share of games is only going to drop. It would be really hard. I don't know if I actually could, Elon, uh, on my own team. It, again, depends on the kind of league you're in. But if I had Campbell on my Cupful team, I'm not 100% sure I'd be ready. Like, I'd be able to. Would you? Well, it depends who's available, obviously. When we're talking about streamer, I, I do like to get goalies. If you could just stream in goalie starts yeah. instead of have Jack Campbell. I'd rather, when I stream, like, I like to always take someone who I think there's a chance that they'll stick on my team. I don't really love just streaming goalie starts. I'd rather get some guy who might actually play two games in a row, you know? And then maybe actually, then I don't even need to use that stream spot on a goalie. So, like, for example, you know, I added Cam Talbot in our league. It's a stream spot. We'll see if I end up holding him. If not, I'll, I'll stream him out. But I'd take, Cam- I'd take Talbot over Campbell. Here's another guy I- I'll ask you if you would prefer over uh, Jack Campbell. Because let's go to Florida now, where we're, we're done with injuries, okay? Let's get to some outjuries, okay? But hang on. I, w- I was going to comment on tyson barry too because you were you were worried that you were too high on him all right sorry but brian i'm getting ahead of myself uh i was answering your question and then i wanted to move uh, i thought i had the perfect transition but cool let's get to tyson barry and then we'll get back to talking about uh campbell versus talbot versus this other goalie that clearly everyone knows who i'm about to talk about (laughs) free transition note elon uh tyson barry's dad len once played for the florida panthers so you can use that in the transition thank you at the appropriate time uh tyson barry uh, his his power play, like his power play numbers, are a little high. It, the power play is really clicking while he's on the ice, even for like accounting for the fact that it's the Edmonton power play. He's also scored twice on seven shots, which is more than I would have expected. But th- th- that's not huge, right? So if you're saying, could we expect Tyson Barry to be sixty point player the rest of the season for starters? I, I might temper a bit and just say fifty five, and I'll still never forget that the rug could get pulled out from Barry at any given moment. But while things are going well, I doubt that's going to happen, and I don't see why things wouldn't continue going well. Like sixty five or more is also for sure possible. There's a huge range of possibilities still with Tyson Barry, but for those in their drafts who took that risk on that big range of of possibilities, you are smiling right now. So Elon, I think you could go 60. I'm going to be a little more conservative and say count on 55. And it's not unreasonable to expect more. But in any case, it's a really great time for Tyson Barry and anyone who's got him. And we haven't been able to say that for a while now. Well, I don't know, Brian, I have uh, Chris Letang I'm planning on bringing up later in our streaks section. I already complained to you about how I should have tried to trade him for Eric Carlson when I had the chance. Obviously, I've missed that opportunity. I'm assuming you'll tell me I shouldn't trade Chris Letang for Tyson Barry. I'll bet you I could make that deal Uh, happen. No, that, yeah, I would look into that. Okay, so... If you have Tyson Barry and Kakupful tier one, let me know because I might be interested if you want to take a shot on Latang. But we'll see. We'll, we'll get into Latang in a little bit. I'm actually very concerned that you said that because I thought you were going to tell me, no, Latang's going to be awesome. But it sounds like you're starting to change your mind there. Anyways, the transition. Now, Len is Barry's dad and he's on Florida. And speaking of Florida, I wanted to bring up another goalie who might be available to you that you might want to consider dropping Jack Campbell for, if not Stuart Skinner and Cam Talbot. And that is. Obviously, Spencer Knight, who's now played three games in a row, he shut out Carolina, stopping 40 on Wednesday. He was less impressive, unfortunately, yesterday. He led in three goals in, in a loss uh, on 31 shots. Uh, there was a tweet from George Richards on Saturday saying that Knight starts Saturday, and Maurice said he and Sergei talked all about it. That's, of course, Sergei Bobrovsky. And plan is for Bob to go Tuesday versus the Capitals. So Florida plays four times next week. My guess is that just Knight and Bob will, you know, split, you know, 
Knight will play or Bob will play Tuesday. Knight will play Thursday. Then they'll probably, you know, share the weekend games. And then we'll just be back at square one of who's playing better. And I, my prediction is Knight's going to play better, but it could go either way. So as, as exciting as it is that Knight played these last three games in a row, and if you had him, you got something good there. I'll bet you I'm more confident in this going back to 50-50 than like Edmonton or, you know, which maybe, maybe is dumb because I know Edmonton wants it to be 50-50. And so far, Edmonton has been more 50-50 and Florida's the one where we've actually seen Knight get more games. But my hunch is that it's, it's going to be over now and they're going to do everything they can to get Bobrovsky going. Yeah, I think that's it. I, 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 while Spencer Knight, though, at least we should note that this is the first time he's really played and it hasn't been a ton, a huge stretch, but Knight, I don't think, has been this good for so long, like over such a large stretch of time uh, in his career so far. So um, we're not about to jump the gun and say Knight is ready to take on a big workload, which is what you're saying. Uh, it's 50-50 at best uh, for Knight, uh, but a 9-22 in seven games has at least put him in that conversation for Bobrovsky. And even if Spencer Knight plays well, yeah, I can't see him playing more than half the games unless Bobrovsky really stinks. And this year, Bobrovsky he hasn't been great, but he hasn't been like back breakingly bad. So I, I think so long as he's a serviceable goalie, which he more or less has been this season, then Bobrovsky is going to hold on to at least half the starts, meaning don't rush out to get Spencer Knight unless having, you know, just a couple, uh, like a start a week or maybe two with good numbers is something that helps you, which it can yeah. in a lot of leagues. Well, you were asked before, uh, like, you know, would you drop Campbell if you had him a cupful? So I said, it depends who's out there. If Spencer Knight is out there, are you making that swap? Yeah. Or are you holding on to Jack Campbell? I think if all I needed was, you know, if I could, if I was happy getting one or two Spencer Knight starts a week instead of having Jack Campbell, that's the trade-off I knew I was making. Yeah, I think I could do that. Yeah, you don't have to worry as much, I guess, because you at least know kind of what you're getting with Knight. I guess Campbell has that upside, but man. Anyway, since we're on Florida, I wanted to come here because of the outchery of Aaron Ekblad. He returned yesterday in the loss to Edmonton. Uh, he had a lot of ice time right away, which is always nice when you have a player come back. Sometimes you think they're going to ease back in, but no, Ekblad played 23 minutes and 42 seconds. He was back on the top power play. He had no points, but he had three shots, two blocks, four pims for whatever it's worth. So, you know, naughty guy, Aaron Ekblad. But anyways, if he has one more pointless game, maybe there'll be a window that will be open to buy low because he didn't have that many points like before he got hurt. Uh, I like because I don't know. I think he'll be fine though. Like I'm, t- I'm definitely into Aaron Eckblad. I think he's really awesome. Though it is interesting that Brandon Montour was also on the top power play in this game versus Edmonton's. They were running three forwards, two D, which feels so archaic. Like compared to Boston now, like doing five forwards. Now imagine like this old school fo- three forwards, two D on a power play. But yeah, Florida was running Barkov, Kachuk, Reinhardt, and then Eckblad and Montour. Montour didn't get a point versus Edmonton before. He had like two huge games: three assists versus Carolina and one goal, three assists versus. Versus Anaheim. Uh, of course, yesterday with Ekblad back, Montour's ice time kind of plummeted, right? Like he went from 27 plus, which he had been getting before, to like 22 and a half, which is pretty close to what Ekblad got. So I'm not saying this is like a terrible amount of ice time, but I don't think we can expect Montour to keep producing at those monster numbers now that his ice time is going to be diminished and we'll see how long he even holds the top power play spot you know there is like sam bennett there's anton lundell who might want to get a shot at some point there so brian let's say uh this would be too crazy right to ask you like to see if you would prefer montour or ekblad i guess you'll probably say ekblad for sure but what do you think about montour for the rest of the season let me ask you that then if my first question is too boring uh like do you think like maybe he won't be like point per game but do you think that we're looking at like a 50 plus point defenseman here for sure 
just a question about your Ekblad versus Montour. Like, you're saying it's too boring. Is that because you agree with me that you'd rather Ekblad than Montour? Yeah, I feel like you'll just say, like, obviously Ekblad. But I don't okay. want to diminish Montour I, and, like, not even have any no, conversation I, I just it. I just want to make sure you were on the same page and you weren't like, am I crazy to think? Because I would be interested in your perspective. But mm-hmm. it sounds like we're on the same page there, even though Brandon Montour looks pretty good, right? And I think... Something's changed with Brandon Montour going into this season. He only played 18 minutes a night last year. This year with Ekblad out, Montour took on huge responsibilities, playing often between 26 and 30 minutes a night. And he was winning shot share battles while doing it. So things are going well for Montour, both in the time when he's on the ice, he's doing well. He's not just eating minutes because there's no one else to do it in Florida. I think Montour has probably earned a lot of confidence from new coach Paul Maurice that maybe he didn't have last year when he was on that 37-point pace playing, honestly, as many as 10 minutes fewer a night. I think the best-case scenario for Montour, and this is best-case, and I, I don't think it's likely case, but the best case is that he can be the Devin Taves to Aaron Ekblad's Cal McCarr, but I don't think that's actually going to happen. It, the thing with Montour is it's really hard to say because he's in a new situation this year, right, where he seems to have more trust from a new coach and is getting looks on the top power play. And from the, the bulk of what we've seen from Montour is a new situation on top of the new situation. And that new situation, like, right, with Ekblad out, it's it's even more different. And now Ekblad's coming back. So we really, we don't have a whole lot of data on what to expect for Brandon Montour, assuming things are more or less smooth and even keel the rest of the way. So I think what I'm going to do for Montour, Elon, you said could we expect him to be a 55-point defenseman? I'm going to drop a marker at 50 points. Uh, I'd rather, like, just to say, I'd rather have him than Hannafin. I'd rather have Barry than Montour, but I also don't think it's impossible that Montour gets up to 55 points, but I definitely wouldn't have him any higher than that. All right, fair enough. Higher than Noah Hannafin, it sounds like you're saying, but maybe like in a in a similar ballpark. So maybe now's a good time to try to sell if you can get like a huge return for him. Uh, and yeah, get excited if you have Ekblad. Don't worry about how he was pointless in that last game. I think you're going to see good things from him really soon. Uh, Brian, I guess we do have to call ourselves out a little bit here. I think it was on the last show, we kind of were saying Sam Bennett forget about him or we were like definitely low on him and he just like went off last week he had a goal versus anaheim a goal and assist versus florida two goals versus edmonton 14 shots over those three games this was after he had only one assist in eight games it's not like we were coming out of nowhere and he's playing on the third line lately like this whole hot streak is from the third line with colin white and etta lusterreinen and from the second power play so i kind of feel like we had the process right but somehow still like what were we supposed to say for a guy on a super long cold streak in a bad situation but I guess we just didn't believe in the skill that Sam Bennett showed us last week. So I don't know, is this something we should have foreseen if we were like better at our craft? Or are you still going to stick with like Sam Bennett like is not going to be that great? And if anything, now's a great window to sell him. I like the idea of being retro intro and retrospective to what we said about Sam Bennett last week. And yeah, we did sort of forget about him or said to more or less forget about Sam Bennett. Maybe if I'm looking back, maybe the thing we missed is that Sam Bennett had just one goal on 42 shots, which is a two and a half percent shooting percentage versus his usual 10%. And since then, Bennett has worked toward evening that out with four goals on his last 14 shots. And those 14 shots in like his last running game, that's not new. 
Bennett has three or more shots in 13 of his 15 games. And yes, that includes a major, like a, a nice quantity of away games, which is our concern that away scorekeepers were not as generous with uh, attributing shots to him as his home scorekeepers were. Now Bennett is shooting 9% on the season. And um, I think the reason, one reason why we dismissed him and the reason is still active is that I'm just not loving his line situation. You mentioned he's playing with Colin White and E2 Lusterinen and is on the second power play. It's not a beautiful thing. And we also saw Bennett nosedive more or less through the second half of last year. I love that the shots and hits are still coming, Elon, and maybe we just didn't give him enough credit for that. But the way I see it, any points he can put up our gravy, and I'm still not sure how much you could keep expecting. He's a tough guy to project. Right now, I'm finding all of Florida a bit confounding, by the way. I feel like they're a hard team, just like Calgary. There's just so such a big change in the offseason that we still, you know, usually within a handful of games or a few weeks, you can get a sense of where players and teams are going because you have the backstory. In Florida, we don't. We're missing it, and that's making it trickier uh, for someone like Sam Bennett. I still am not getting crazy excited about him. I don't think there's a whole lot he can do from line three and the second power play, but I'm glad uh, some shot regression is happening and the shots are still coming. By the way, Elon, someone else on Florida who we've, I don't know, have we struggled to project Carter Verhage? We at least need to shout him out. He's been on fire lately. 12 points in nine games. This is someone, slow start this year, bad year last year, and we were... Trying to preach patience, say, hang on, the whole first line is is snake bit. Hold on to Carter Verhage, even though it's really tempting to let go. And he's rewarded you. Six goals, six assists, again, 12 points in his last nine games. And those six goals over nine games have come on 31 shots, which, yeah, gives him a, a like a 19% shooting percentage. But that's not obscene. And I think one of the... One of the the buried leads might be, if you're only focusing on that, is he has taken four or more shots in five consecutive games now. 23 shots for Verhege over his last five, which is really exciting. It's great to see him shooting the puck again, putting up points, and if somehow he's still available and your league has not caught on to him after getting real cool on him to start the year, then you should really go make sure he's on your roster. Yeah, I think at this point, if you're going after Verhage, it's because you're going after him in trade. I don't imagine that there's many leagues out there where he's available. But Brian, let me take a chance to to be the Brian here. Yeah, I'm just checking here. 63% roster on Yahoo, so maybe available somewhere. Super shallow leagues. Um, I would point out that you know he's on this great hot streak. He had two games where he got on the top power play recently, and he had three power play points j- just recently. Like Actually, his last three points in his last three games are all on the power play, and he's been bumped right with Ekblad back so if anything I'd expect him to start slowing down a little bit so if you can get like a huge return from him if someone believes in him as like a point per game guy I think now would be a good time like he's, his value I'd just say is as high now as it'll ever be for whatever that's worth uh, though I did say right. a similar thing about Hampus Lindholm when Ben and I talked about him on short shifts and I said like now's a good time to sell Hampus Lindholm because with McAvoy coming back probably Lindholm's value is going to fall and you know what McAvoy is back and Lindholm is still doing really well he had three assists today the today's Sunday that we're recording this in Boston's 5-2 win over Vancouver so like McAvoy had one assist like I, I again kind of like with Ekblad like I'm really into McAvoy I think he'll be great uh, but Hampus Lindholm is 
was kind of like the who do you like better between Lindholm and Brandon Montour? I guess that's actually a fun comparison here because both of them were doing so so well while they were manning their team's top power plays. Now they're going to get relegated probably, but still showing us that they can put up points. And in fact, actually today Lindholm had a lot of power play times. So let me just actually bring up here the last game lines here over on Frozen Tools, and it looks like so yeah they were running. Okay, it's worth pointing out here that they were running this five forward power play again. Bergeron, Krejci, Marshawn, Pasternak, and DeBrusque, and then a second power play with Hall, Zaka, Felino, and then Lindholm and McAvoy. That would be wild if that sticks. So I guess, yeah, they're both like not top power play defensemen right now, but it looks like there was also a stretch of a power play where McAvoy did play with Bergeron, Krejci, Marshawn, and Pasternak, and DeBrusque, I guess, had to go sit down. So I think this is all a very fluid situation, but in general, I think my question stands. Lindholm versus Montour, who do you believe in more to keep up their awesome pace that they've done for the start of the season yeah that's a really hard one i think it's uh it's whoever's gonna play with the best players at five on five going forward so for that like i'm gonna look at their at their on ice expected goals numbers and for hampus lindholm he's just above two uh, and this is at five on five two and a half expected goals per 60 minutes at five on five while he's on the ice and montour is seeing more than three expected goals uh, for his team while he's on the ice per 60 minutes. So that's uh, that's going to be my answer. But this isn't to take away anything from what Hampus Lindholm has accomplished. He stepped up onto the top power play and has been producing like a power play one quarterback. He's on pace for 23 power play points this season. And his five on five production is looking pretty strong. He's got his highest points participation rates of his career. So I think that still could dip a little. But other than that, you know, even if you regress the guy, what's his career high point pace? 37 points? Yeah, I think that's a that's a re- that's a decent starting point and I probably think that's even too low. Um even if I regress him, I feel like Campus Lindholm is still going to somehow appear as a 55 point player, which is new territory for him, but I will um yeah, I'm going to defer a little bit on on thinking Lindholm can continue all he's doing and prefer Montour. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you there. But definitely exciting to see that Lindholm can keep this up. Obviously, a much better situation in Boston than he had over in Anaheim. Brian, I still have some more outjuries to get to. Uh, I actually still have a question also about a really struggling player over in Boston. Though maybe that's changed a little bit today. So we're going to get to all that in part two of the episode, where we'll also talk about a bunch more hot and cold streaks that were suggested by our patrons and some that I came up with on my own. So uh, stick around. Go check your podcast player to see if part two is available available and we hope you'll stick with us and enjoy the second half of this show thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon